Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. This is Season 2 with a brand new series on the book of Daniel. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Daniel 10 and 11. I'm going to talk about how we're going to do this, but let me just say, it's, it's um, man, everybody's got different opinions of different things. It's good to be together again inside. Um, one of the things I like about it is the singing. It's just, it's, I see heads not. It's just, it's robust. And I love being outside too, but it kind of goes all over this way. And um, there's something about truths of the gospel and some people are, you know, they're good at singing quiet. Um, when you're with people, you can sing loud and your voice gets covered up and it's okay. And I, there's this, I mean, I, I feel like we just sang in the last couple songs, what is the conclusion of these chapters? And we're going we're gonna to finish this service remembering and celebrating his death and resurrection, which is the establishment of the kingdom, the eternal king. And all that we're going to read about is in contrast to him. But what we sang about is the glorious conclusion, and it is the exact reason why we gather here. So it's a wonderful thing. So thank you for singing. Thank you for the Sunday school teachers. Um, we don't have anything figured out other than one thing, that Jesus still reigns. He's on the throne. That, that's pretty much what we know. And so we're just going to try to walk through this as best we can. Uh, Pastor Mike led a wonderful discussion in TM4L yesterday just on the nature of the church. And we're going to be kind of going through that on our Saturday mornings on different aspects. In fact, the preaching series after Daniel is going to focus on uh, Jesus' prayer in John 17 for us in unity and how Paul expounds on that in the book of Ephesians and takes and kind of teaches the church on it. It's going to be a wonderful thing. And I just, so the gathering together, thank you for being here. The Lord is present, and that's why we're here. So what we want to be doing is tuned into him at all points, even Joe's announcements. Those are things about there's activities going on, uh, singing that we're not just, we're, it, this is, goes to him. This is who we're singing to. This is what he's done. And preaching, whether it's Pastor Rob or Mike or Joe or myself, we want to be tuned into hearing God's voice. Lord, what do you have for us from this word? So one of our prayers always is this. It's not simply that we'd make Scripture clear, but that we'd meet with Jesus in that, that Jesus would be seen in that, because that's where the transformation, the worship occurs. That's what goes with us. So that's been our prayer. Um, how, how many of you have read chapters 10 and 11? How many of you? Okay, a number of you. How many think it's not very complicated? Thank you. Many less hands. All right. So I want to, I want to try to... So I think understanding this is done in the big picture view rather than the small picture and the details. So it's fun sitting through about half of the class this morning and seeing how that was. I didn't get to see the conclusion. but So let me just begin this way. Um, what's your reaction when you hear news, which typically is bad news, isn't it? I mean, that's what drives the news. What's your reaction on an emotional level? 
Um, when you hear of social unrest or mass shootings or suicide bombers or kidnappings, crazy stuff, what's the emotional reaction to us? It's, it, it's interesting in here because um, we live in a world that is full of very, very real evil. But I want to assure you it has been that way since Cain and Abel. It has been. In fact, when we go through chapter 11, it's going to repeat that again and again and again. But there is a particular way that we are, we are called out. So in this, these chapters, there is vivid imagery of war and conflict against one against another. And as the chapter ends in 11, it's against God and God's people. And so while it doesn't come to a final resolution here in chapter 11, these chapters are to show us the futility of it all and the demise of the enemy in contrast to the one we are gathered to worship today. So these chapters, I think, are actually best understood with the vision in chapter 7. And so I'll, I'll, I'll pull in that a little bit later on. But Daniel 7, as you remember, that is a key to understanding the entire book. So sometimes when you're, this is just helpful in reading. You know, when you're reading something, you go, I don't get this. So You'll, you'll look for clues that make connections. We'll try to do that today. But understanding in light of the whole, what is this book really about? Who's hearing it? That is just a helpful thing in, in any book of the Bible that we're reading. So I'll try to do that today a little bit. The, um, the, the overall theme, which we call the melodic line of the book, as we came up with with pastors, is this. And it's, it's, it's there in every chapter. is kingdoms rise and fall. We, are to, we, God's people, we are to remain faithful Remembering the eternal king who rules over all. That's the contrast all the time. So what I want to do today in these 66 verses, here's, here's a little tempted. I'm going to give you a theme, what I think is just kind of for these chapters, 10 and 11 actually go together. Um, then we'll look at it kind of section by section so you kind of get the flow of thought. And because there's so many verses, I will read some. And I have specific words underlined. Um, I'm going to tell some of them because it, it does get tedious um, in that. If you're trying to take notes and you want to get some, just email Sonia in the office later on if you want to get notes. It's like, don't get lost in that. But that's kind of how we'll try to uh, approach it today. So here's, here's what I'd say is kind of the theme or the melodic line of chapters 10 and 11. Understand, and I think it's a, it's a key word in the beginning, understand that though mighty rulers war against God and his children, we can stand firm, knowing that we're loved by God, who truly rules over everything. I just want to say that in a different way. If you think about the book, so in these chapters, we're going to see the conflict, and I would say many of the guys who are not on God's team, and we're going to see what happens to them. If you think about the book, we have a God who sent someone very special into a, a fiery furnace and rescued these three guys who remained faithful, and they were willing to die for him. We have a God who shut the mouths of lions. We have a God who sent angelic messengers to Daniel to tell him something. In contrast, as we we'll read to these mighty kings, these mighty multitudes who lay siege works and, and destroy cities and exalt themselves and all come to dust in their demise. That's the big picture contrast. And as you think of Daniel, 
And his lifetime as a young man saw the destruction of Jerusalem, the killing of many of his own people, the very temple worship of God destroyed. And here he is now in a foreign land, trying to remain faithful. My life's pretty easy compared to all that. And God's bringing this message to him that is written down for the people of Israel, for us, for God's people. To know who he is in light of all these things. It's true in a global pandemic. It's true in all kinds of conflict, whether it's relational, whether we would ever suffer persecution. It's true. And he's building his kingdom. And we'll see that here in a couple of different ways. Okay. Basically, this breaks down two ways. Chapter 10, if you've read it, it's basically about the appearance. What do I call him? The burning man. I don't know what you call him. He's got a crazy description. The appearance of the burning man. Though he does have a personal word of encouragement to Daniel that we'll think about. But chapter 11, then, is his, the vision that he's bringing. And we'll, we'll see here, the text tells us why he's giving this vision when we read it closely. Rob did this downstairs. That's the vision. He appears. Here's what he looks like. He's got a personal message of encouragement. And here's the vision, what it is. Okay, that's where we're going. Let's pray. Ask his help. Father, again, we pray this. We would pray that we would see you more clearly. And seeing you more clearly would actually be the kind of thing that would, in our hearts, in our lives, grow faith in you and trust in you for our difficult obstacles. Ours may be different from one another. They may be different from Daniel. But you don't change. And you desire to work in your people, Lord, so that in these days in which you have called us to live, we would live for you. Our eyes would be on you. We would see you, though everything else the evil one throws at us wants to obscure you. And we'd follow you. And then in that way, we would shine like light in a dark world in worship and surrender of you. Would that be so? Would this morning as you meet with us, would this scripture equip and build and do such in us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, it's in your Bibles. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. I'm going to read just uh, this verse. There's some interesting things here. This tells us, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict, and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. Two things are told here. It it gives us the time stamp, when this took place. It also tells us the purpose of the vision. So Rob did this downstairs. Keep your finger here in Daniel 10. I want to simply go back to Ezra 1, because this tells us what happened in the first year of Cyrus. This is what's taking place, Ezra 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. This is two years prior. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to do what? To build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. 
And verse 7 tells us that he takes all the things that Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, all these gold artifacts, and he sends them back to Jerusalem. That had happened two years prior. It was, as you notice, actually part of Jeremiah's prophecy. This is what Cyrus is doing. So what we just read there is the Lord gives a word to a pagan king that he's going to go back and rebuild the place of worship for God's people. What is there that God cannot do? There's nothing that indicates that Cyrus is a believer here, but he's moved by God. God's the one who, who raises kings and brings them down. He used them for his purpose. doesn't matter whether you voted for them or not. God does this all the time. He's the sovereign one. He will accomplish his purposes for his glory. We can stand firm. We can trust him, even if the things happening are bad and tough and difficult for us. We can. Here he does this with Cyrus. Now, back to Daniel 10.1. Here's the purpose and, um, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. He's describing chapter 11. It's all going to be about war and conflict, and he understood the word and had understanding of vision. So this guy comes to Daniel in order to give him understanding of what's going to take place. Now, let me pause. There's lots of people that write books about end times, Daniel, and all that. Uh, some of them have been handed to me um, as I come through this series. And I, I read them. Here's where people get lost in Daniel. I think we focus on, the, on how do you say it? We put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. We, there's certain things, okay, so what we focus on is who? Who's this? Who's that? Who's that? I don't think this is really about who, though there are some real who's, and you can tell some of them in history, but that's not the point. It's the what. What's he tell? This is all about the conflicts coming. And when you read chapter 11, you're just going to watch. This guy raises up, he beats down this guy, and then this guy gets beat down by this guy, and this guy gets beat down by this guy, and this guy. You get a pattern here? The Son of Man has been given all authority, all dominion authority, and his kingdom will be eternal. Who does he give that kingdom to? I'll just leave that one hanging. Because there's... That's what this, it's about the what, not the who. And that's where people, I think, put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. So, we just see it. But he tells us right there in verse 1. Here's what it is. Now, verses 2 and 3. In those days, third year, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacy, so he talked about a fast. In other words, Daniel's now telling this, looking back on what happened as he tells this. So now I'll summarize and read something. So verses 4 through 9 is basically about the appearance of what I'm calling this burning man and the sound of his voice. Look at verse 6. Here's his appearance. He has a face like the appearance of lightning. That's way more than suntan gleam. This is, think of this, his face, if you've ever seen a lightning flash, your eyes can't hold, it's, um, we've got some welders here. I mean, you've got to have Give these it's a, you can't look at it. That's his face. His eyes are like flaming torches. His eyeballs. You look into a fire, it's a flaming torch. His arms and his legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. That is, when he speaks, 
It's like a stadium roar, like the, the roar of a crowd at a maniacs at a college football game when something's going on. He's speaking, and it's a roar. It's deafening. That's pretty intimidating. That's this guy as he comes. Daniel says, I saw him. The men with me didn't, but a great fear fell upon them, and they fled. I was alone, and I became weak. So I, I think in the Sunday school class, as, as Rob would just lean us making observations, what's that sound like? And someone observed, and it sounds like, sounds like Isaiah. When he saw the Lord, he became weak-kneed. So whoever this is, it's not described whether it's the person of Christ, whether it's an angel. It's not, I mean, scholars will say different things. But who, from the presence of God, let me just say, our common view of God tends to diminish him in his power and his glory. Should God actually appear before us, we could not stand. We could, our physical eyes could not behold it. We would, be, we would be destroyed in our very being. You remember when Moses wants to see him, he's put in a cleft of the rock. Our God is more glorious than imaginable, more bright than the, than the sun actually is. Our views of him tend to be diminished in terms of that. There's some aspect of that that comes to us in this vision. Verse 10, the man approaches Daniel. Look at his first words. Behold, a hand, he, he touched him with his hand, set me trembling on my hands and knees, and he said this to Daniel. O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I've been sent to you. So a couple of words I underlined I want you to see. I'll comment on them more because verse 19 is very similar. But this man who is awesome in appearance is a friend. He's not a foe. He's mighty. He's fearsome. <laughs> Let me say it this way. He's on our side. Or we're on his side. This one. So the word that he says here, which he says in verse 19 also, is fear not. Don't be afraid. Now again, the vision is going to have real conflict Real war, real killing. And this man comes to him as mighty as he is. He says, you're greatly loved. I want you to understand the words, the vision. I'm going to speak to you. Stand upright. You can. I've been sent to you. Don't be afraid. Verse 12. Um, this is kind of a side note, but I do want to note it. This, why does he come to Daniel? He's been praying and fasting for for three weeks, verse 12, then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the very first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I've come because of your words. There's a humility in Daniel that we cannot miss. It is in contrast to all these other kings who've exalted themselves. It's in contrast to the kings in, in uh, chapter 11. It sh we should recall the last chapter of the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, which begins this way about who God is and who he loves to hear. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. So all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one. To whom I will look. 
He who is humble and contrite in my spirit and trembles at my word. That's a call to us. And the, this angelic person, this burning man, says, that's why I came to you. As you've humbled yourself before the Lord, it's why I've been sent to you. I think that is exhortational to us. It's the posture we want to have before God. It's a posture of worship. It's a posture of surrender. It's a posture of recognizing I'm not in charge. Everything in our culture is about the throne of me. I get upset because this thing didn't work out the way I want. I, my, my emotions get up. And it's, it's, it's the God of self, which is in us all by our nature since our brother Adam. The evil one, our enemy, knows how to inflame it along the way. It's so prevalent in our culture, the world in which we live, the air in which we breathe, it's all around us. So we want to repent of it, not be surprised when it shows up in us in all kinds of ways a subtle jealousy, a wondering why they get this and I don't get that, wondering why God seems to hear their prayers and not mine, just shows up. We can take our questions honestly to him, but let's remember who he is. He is almighty and he is merciful. We will end that way today as we worship him in the way he gave his life for us. That's his love. Verse 13, I'm not going to skip this one. I'll just, people want to know, so I'll just say this quickly. So he says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. So I'll just say this simply. I don't think it's a major part of the text, but my best understanding of this would be there is, okay, we understand there's conflict. There's a material world and a spiritual world. There is absolutely conflict in good and evil. There are demons in rebellion, spirits created by God who are in rebellion to God and Christ. And there are angels who are in allegiance. So likely this is talking about some of that spiritual warfare that goes on. Whole books have been written about it. Novels have been written about it. I just want to acknowledge that's true. It has been since all of human history. It just is. Um, But we know that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. I think the church often bends this out of shape and we get fearful about things. It's just interesting how many times we're just going, don't be afraid. Yep, there's conflict. So when I read that, don't be surprised and don't be fearful. We serve the one who is sovereign over all. We got to keep it in that perspective and remember that. Verse 14, he says, I've come to make you understand for this vision is yet to come. And then verses 15 to 21, he is strengthening Daniel. I want to pick up the reading in verse 17. Daniel says, "For, For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. The man touched me and strengthened me, saying this to Daniel, O man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. Okay, this is similar to verse 11, but it's it amplifies slightly. And here's the things I want us to know. While this is specific to Daniel, oh, you did this in the class today, Rob, thank you. You just don't, hey, does this, do you remember anything like this? And so you're calling out resurrection appearances, God's word to Joshua, various times. So I think it's good to think of this as being the, the word of the Lord to his people. 
specific people at specific times. Here it is. Oh, man, greatly loved. Friends, if you've repented and turned to Christ in faith, I want want to assure you this. You are loved by God. It is not your righteousness. You know that. It's Jesus. You are loved by God. And when you recognize that, it will change everything in your life. That there's absolutely nothing that can separate you from that. That's why I, Romans 8 for me is such a huge chapter in recalling and remembering that in my prayers and in my struggles, when I'm really struggling, I, I call that out because it's God's word. You're loved by God. You don't perform to make yourself better. You're loved by him. That word of not being afraid, and he says it here, fear not, peace be with you. It's a word God gives time after time. It's a word Jesus gives in his, in his resurrection appearances. It's a word, don't be afraid. My peace I give you. I think that also comes from knowing we're loved by God. Okay, let me pause for a second. Some of us struggle with truths in Scripture. It says it, and I go like, yeah, not for me though. I can see it for you. Let me just say, when you think such a thing, renounce it. It's not true. Renounce falsehoods. You are empowering the evil one, the liar deceiver to you. God's word is full of this. You're loved by God. Don't be afraid. There's real evil, yes. But know who he is. Know what he's going to do. Know what he has done. He's already demonstrated for us the greatest love in Jesus that he's given his life for us. There's no king like this. There's no God like this. No, recall it to yourself. Even if you can't figure it out with God, just recall it. It's true. Love by God. Don't be afraid. Have peace. And then it's be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. This may be the word that you need to hear from God today. That's what is said to Daniel at this point. Now, I think also, why are all these things said before he gets to the vision? I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but if you get to a certain kind of end times prophecy conference or people get into it, it t- those end times things tend to have the opposite effect on people. They hear all this stuff and they get afraid. And all of a sudden they go out and buy a year's worth of food and store it in their basement. No laughter. Don't, isn't that what happens? People get, oh, I get it, I get it, I get it. What are we doing? We're trying to get the solution ourselves when we hear all these things. When we hear all these, it tends to not bring hope in Jesus. We tend to get fearful and fretting about, oh, this is what's going to That's why he says, hey, you're loved by God. Nothing can change that. Don't be afraid of peace. Be strong and courageous. But friends, since the beginning of time, it's been this way. Again, remember this message to Daniel at this time. He has watched people being killed as a young teenager. He's known the temple being destroyed. He's taken as a captive. He has, le- he has grown up most all his adult life. has been in a foreign land. God, where are you? What, what's going to happen? He, he does know the prophecies. But there's a time limit from Jeremiah. And right here, he's just beginning to see that being fulfilled as, the, as Cyrus sends people back to rebuild the temple. Lord, what are you going to do? So verses 20 and 21, he's basically saying to Daniel, I've come to tell you what is to come 
in response to your praying and fasting and seeking the Lord. And then we get to chapter 11. I'll go quicker through this one. Um, I do think this is more focusing on the what and not the who. So as you see in the first few verses, he talks about Persia. There's three more kings. There's a fourth king who's going to be at Greece. Let me read verse 4. This fourth king after the three. And as soon as he has risen, his kingdom shall be what? Broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his what? Not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others. He's the mighty one over the other ones. This kingdom will go somewhere else. It won't, it won't go to his posterity. Now I want to come back to Daniel 7. Daniel 7 is the vision of our king. His kingdom basically is established at his resurrection, which we'll celebrate at the end. His death, death cannot keep him down. He, he, he rises from the dead to life. It's an eternal kingdom. Do you remember this in chapter 7? And who does his kingdom go to? It says all nations will worship him. The kingdom goes to his people. Goes to us. He's building his kingdom. Contrast that to this fourth king who rises. He, his kingdom is broken and divided. It doesn't even go to his posterity. That's a, in direct contrast in terms of what happens that all these frustrating rulers come in and go on. This pattern is going to be repeated throughout this particular chapter. Verses 5 through 45 essentially talks about this epic battle between the king of the south and the king of the north. It starts with an alliance and then it goes to this epic battle. I'm just going to read a couple sections. But it's full of siege works against fortified cities, and essentially it's the war for self-rule. It is a war against the Lord God. Verse 12 talks about his heart being exalted. There's a pride in victory, but it's never a victory that lasts. There's conquest. And then there's defeat. Look at verse 19. Then he shall turn his face back toward the fortresses of his own land. This is a different guy now. But he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found. Then shall arise in his place, someone else, one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. And in his place, another guy shall arise a contemptible person. Are we getting a pattern here? There's a definite pattern. Verse 28, now evil tends to morph and get worse. We see in this guy in verse 28, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant. Verse 28, that holy covenant is God's covenant with his people. So just think gospel. It's an Old Testament form of gospel. That's what that is. He's against what God has promised to his people. He's against God. So whether this guy is demonized or not, evil is from one particular root. And it just is evil. Verse 31. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. So we could talk about 
all this and who this is, and scholars, a lot of them say it's Antiochus Epiphanes, and, and I, mean, I, I think it is. Um, but I think partly what's going on here is persecutions should not surprise us. And in this particular individual, there is a particular bent against God's people. But verse 32 is really important here. That's who he is. That's what he does. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Underline that in your Bibles. Because he's telling Daniel, I want you to have understanding of all the things that go on. Don't be surprised at persecution. And friends, we, our experience just has a very 21st century American view of life. And the church has been persecuted for a long time. Let me, let me say this. God's building his church through Afghan people. There are Central Asian countries that are taking in fleeing Afghans. God's spreading his church. God's, God's continually building his church. It won't get reported on news. God's sovereign over all. He, do you remember the Joseph story where God takes this evil and he turns it for good? That's the kind of God we have. The stories play out differently, but he doesn't change. He's sitting on his throne. Jesus has not gotten bumped off his throne by somebody else. We can stand firm, even if it costs us our life. We can have peace with God when we know we're loved by God. We're meant to live with our eyes on him, not all this other stuff. It's real evil. And the exhortations come to us because we do get afraid. I do get anxious. But when that happens, i got to remember this. And that's where worship and surrender comes out. Demons hate it. Angels exalt. Because we're just weak people whom God has chosen to show his surpassing greatness in. That's the treasure in the jars of clay. It's him, not us. There's no human being that's great. But how we respond really matters. They're real challenges that we all have in these days. But we're called to this, knowing who he is. We're gonna... I love that communion is regular. It's to remind us, and he conquered death for us, that he gets glory. I think this is the transformation of this chapter, maybe of this book. But the people who know their God stand firm and they take action. I've told this story before. Four or five years ago, I'm with uh, Pastor Muhammad down in Tyre, Lebanon. And um, this guy's amazing, does not fear for his life. He, he ministers in Hezbollah territory. We actually sh- celebrated Iftar. You can see northern Israel from where we were. Iftar is the, when the Ramadan, where they're breaking the, the, uh, the fast. Celebrated Iftar with the, this table of I think they were not very good Muslims because they had us at their table, but they're really hospitable. These guys were just, and just eating, and he's got great favor. And uh, we had, one Sunday morning, we were driving someplace. He stopped by this Palestinian camp. It's probably been 30 years. And these kids all come running up there, Pastor Muhammad, Pastor Muhammad, Pastor, eager to see him. And then we're having coffee right, right outside that camp a little later. I go like, okay, this is Hezbollah territory. Aren't you like, don't you ever get scared? You're not like hiding who you are, what you're doing. I mean, not at all. He's, a, he's an incredible evangelist, got lots of refugee ministry, and he goes, no, all they can do is kill me. And he just said it like, have another sip of coffee, you know? I'm like, you're not very American, are you? <laughs> it's funny, we actually, um, like six months later, he's at one of our Word Partners things, and, you know, they're going through all this security stuff. The guy walked out of the room, and I'm like looking at him. I go, I know these things are important, 
but he walked out of the room. Now, I'm not saying he's right, but one thing I know about him, that brother knows that he's loved by God. And he's got a call in his life. It may not be your call. It may not be mine. He's got a call in his life. And he's just following the Lord in it. That's what he's doing. We all have different calls. We're not all supposed to be Muhammad. But his, his phrase, what, what else can they do? All they can do is kill me. The guy's got three daughters, beautiful daughters that are young adults. I'm sure he wants to see grandkids. But that's not where his orientation was. I was exhorted. Just exhorted. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. This guy is, he's warring against God's people, profaning God's names. The people who know their God, who know they're loved by God, will stand firm till death, whether it be by cancer. How we die matters. Whether it be by martyrdom or just good old, old age when the tent wears out. How we finish this course matters. Okay, we're going to end here. Verse 36 and 7, uh, that king, this guy who's warring against, he's going to do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. Don't be surprised. That's, that's what's going to happen. So was this all fulfilled before Jesus came? Sure. Might there be a future fulfillment also? Sure. This is spirit of Antichrist. So this is great war between the king of the south and king of the north. And what is, don't put it up here, Aaron, yet. What is the final sentence of this chapter? Because it lands this way. What is it? I'm going to make you look at it. You got it in your Bibles? I'm not putting it up here. What's the final, because underline it in your Bibles. Because you'll get the point of this chapter. Now you can put it up, Aaron. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. Put an exclamation point right there. All these kings. This guy is warring. He's, he's killing people. God's name. All this stuff. We get afraid. He's going to come to an end. None shall help him. But Jesus. The Ancient of Days has given the kingdom to the Son of Man. It's an eternal throne. This is all, I'm quoting Daniel 7. All peoples and language shall worship him. And this kingdom he's giving to his people. That's all in Daniel 7. That's the contrast to this. And he wants Daniel to understand that as he's still living in a foreign land and the temple is being rebuilt. He's looking for Messiah. Promised from 2 Samuel 7 where God has established this. He's looking for Messiah and wondering. I do think, my dad used to teach this Sunday school class, I do think it's likely we don't know how Daniel dies, but there is a time at the birth of Christ in Matthew when there are magi coming from the east, probably Persians, who are looking for the king of the Jews. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, who've probably, this has probably been passed down to the very scrolls that Daniel has studied, things, they're looking for the king of the Jews. And you remember Jesus, you see this in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark, when he's on trial before, um, it's the high priest who wants to say, you know, he wants to know who, who you are, what you're claiming to be. Are you, are you calling yourself Messiah? And he says, it's as you say, and then he quotes Daniel 7. You're going to see from the clouds the Son of Man coming. 
And the high king tears his robes, calling it blasphemy. He knows that Jesus is declaring himself to be God right as he's on trial. He knows it. So just pause. When you ever hear someone say, Jesus never claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Son of Man. He's quoting Daniel 7. The high priest knew it. He calls it blasphemy. And Jesus said throughout the gospel, I'm building my kingdom. And my, the kingdom of God is right here. It's this little seed that starts in faith when we come to him and it gets in a life and starts like a little mustard seed and it grows up into this tree. And the birds of the air are coming and they nest in it. When the gospel grows in your life and you're living in a dark place and, you, and you're shining like light, this tree becomes a place where other people are nourished by you. They're not Christians yet. They don't understand why you live that way you do. They don't understand why you stand firm. They don't understand why you're not afraid like they're afraid. Persecution or difficulties, cancer, any kind of difficulty, friends, is the best gospel tract we can ever have when it's real. Not being Pollyanna, not putting our head in the sand, but when we see him, we're looking to him, and we live like that. It is sheer worship. It's how Jesus is magnified. Who in this chapter, in these chapters, who stands and who falls? Who is loved? Who is strengthened? Who understands? Friends, understand that though mighty rulers will war against God and his children, we can stand firm knowing that we are loved by the one who truly rules over everything. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.